This is Agents Influence Podcast. You need to understand what LinkedIn is and what it isn't. It's the biggest B2B real-time updated database. But to tap that database, you need to understand how LinkedIn search works, how to really use that, how to boil it down. Especially if you're a middle market, we get tricked and fooled about all these big numbers. There's billions of people on LinkedIn. You don't need a billion people or even a thousand prospects. You need a couple hundred of the right prospects because you can't build relationships with thousands of prospects. And that's what makes it difference. I'm Jason Cass and we're going to help you think differently. Change your agency. Change your finances. Change your family. And in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hey, 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 loyal listeners. Welcome to Agents Influence Podcast, Conversations with Jason Cass. And today I'm here with Mr. Walt Goshert. Mr. Walt Goshert, how are you doing, sir? Doing fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, Walt. Um, so I make no bones about it. I, I, You brag that you can help people on LinkedIn or you can help pro- them get prospects or business or image and whatever, you know, struggling to turn connections into calls uh, is what your LinkedIn profile says. And it kind of got intriguing. And so I've been following you a while and I kind of got a couple questions from some agents about LinkedIn. I think it's a very valuable tool that we do not utilize like we should, um, and including me including me. Um, and there's reasons for that. I think there's great things about LinkedIn and I think that there's just fake things about LinkedIn and we'll talk about all <laughs> no those, doubt. right. We'll talk about all those, uh, right now, but, um, Walt, uh, are you ready? I'm ready. So Walt, are you an iPhone or are you a droid user? Droid user. Wow. You said yep. you were telling me you made a switch. Uh, nope, I've always been a droid user. Yeah, you know, I've looked at iPhones, looked at Macs, and I'm I'm a cheapskate, and I could never justify the cost of something that was working. You know, to you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess reluctant to change when it's working. So. You know. What's amazing is I hear people say that, that, that are droid users, right? That they used to be Apple and they came over and they say that they're like, I just want a phone that works. And so what's crazy is, is I never hear Apple people complaining about their phone not working. Right. And so this is like, I've never been an Apple person because I just, I just have realized where the evilness is in the world, um, from an early age. And I tried to stay away from that. Totally joking. I just happened to have a Samsung before Apple and I've (laughs) stuck there, but I hear this like, and it's, it's kind of like, I can't say never, but it's kind of like being a captive and coming to independent. I've only heard of two or three that have went from independent to being a yeah, captain. Right? I never hear that. Yeah, you, I, I've, I've never been an Apple user. I, I grew up on, you know, I started my career on the independent side and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, had offers to go to the direct writer side and was recruited on that side, but uh, never made that switch. So, yeah. And, and, yeah, and it's, it's interesting you say that. Right. You yeah, don't see it go one way. from independent to direct writer. Right. That's right. And, 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 and so, the same way, you know, and I hear a lot of people that it's like they'll even bounce between, right? Between yeah, Apple yeah. and Droid. I'm like, yeah. why are you bouncing if you're happy, yeah. right? If so, it's working, why, you know, 
you know, you like to remove all the crap from your head, you know, especially yeah. tech stuff. It, you know, mm-hmm. we went through that trying to figure out my microphone just getting on here today. <laughs> if it's anything that's out of the ordinary, I can't figure it out. It's right. Just, yeah. So no, it, it, it I is. Just, I'm, I'm all about keep it simple. If it works, don't change it. Something we were all taught in school with the KISS formula, keep it simple, yeah, yeah. stupid, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just keep it simple is K-I-S, but my <laughs> chemistry teacher used to say it was called the K-I-S-S, keep it simple, yeah. stupid. Maybe that was everybody was taught that. I was just- That was you, a compliment when I was in high school. So. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and remember when back, even when I was in high school, and I mean, obviously, I think I was probably not born yet when you were in high school. I don't, I don't really know your age or anything, so I have no clue. Um, so, but I think that there was this thing also about being a geek or a nerd. Yeah. Right. It wasn't cool to be a geek or a nerd back back when we were younger, right? Like if you were considered yourself a nerd and maybe it's still that way in school today, I haven't been in school in over 25 years, but I, I, we pride ourselves in the industry um, and in other industries about being insurance geeks, right? Yeah. About being insurance nerds. It's it's funny how we've taken that word and we've crafted it to mean actually something positive. To <laughs> as, as if you were a nerd, that's actually probably a good thing because it means that you know that and you're dedicated to yeah. it and somehow or you have some kind of obsession or passion for it. So anyways, went way off yeah. the rails already. Yeah, I always thought it was better. Instead of it being an, an insurance nerd, I always thought it was great to be a business nerd is to really understand mm-hmm. be curious about business and dig into what makes business work because then you can figure out the risk management the insurance stuff mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's more important to be a business nerd I, I do agree. I do absolutely agree. And so uh, the next question that I like to ask is do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Uh, you know that's a, always a great question. I love to hear answers from your guests on that and obviously everyone loves to win i love to win you know it it fuels me uh but i think there's something uh, i have a problem to say hate to lose because i think when you lose you have to love the learning of losing Mm -hmm. you have to really uh, have the mindset that geez you even if you lose because you are going to lose it's inevitable true and, and you got to be able to put yourself out there to be able to lose but you have to have the mindset that you're going to learn from it you're going to take something from it and you're going to improve you're going to get better from the losing process and uh, yeah I'm a big golf fan and watch the PGA and it's always interesting they they interview the winner and you know he's always elated but it's interesting to hear the comments from the losers. And those guys are, you know, if you're a professional golfer, you lose a lot. And uh, yeah, true. you've got to be comfortable with that losing, but you have to have the discipline to, to improve your game and get better. And I think that's something, especially in the insurance business, we've got to have that mindset. You know, I don't think that people that are golfers get truly the respect they deserve, right? It's like, oh, it's golfing. It's an easy game and all that, whatever. But I'm telling you. It's different if you're a serious golfer versus a novice golfer. That's what I'm saying. There's a huge difference. Well, you're talking about serious golfers, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think they're getting the respect that they deserve in the fact that these people are hardcore workers. So we we had a – at my – in Centralia, Illinois, which is where I'm originally from and where I started, Mm -hmm. and now I'm over in Edwardsville. But 
The golf course, Greenview Golf Course, was owned by Tom Wargo, who is a 93. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So he he lives right, I mean, literally a couple a couple houses down on the across the, the golf course. And um, he sold it since and, and, and all mm-hmm. that different stuff. But there was a guy by the name of Stu Kirkland, who was a long drive champion. He actually <laughs> played on the nationwide tour back in the 90s. And yeah. this guy could crush the ball. And yeah, so yeah. he was unbelievable at that golf, at that golf course and I remember being a kid watching him he had his own little area where he would put like these targets at 25 and 50 and 75 and 100 and you'd see them go all the way out and he would just see him there like before I would go to school like he was out there hitting right and then like I would come home from school and he's out there hitting and I would be riding my bike around and he'd be out there hitting right I mean the guy was consistently hitting golf balls and one day when I was older I asked him I said I said Sue how how much time he says if I don't hit at least six hours of golf balls he's like there's no way I'm going to even make the nationwide tour and he he would do that six days a week you know and it was like just consistently I don't know of many other things where you're just going to go work at it six hours now I understand like insurance and stuff but we're talking about a sporting event a game that you would spend at least six hours hitting balls six days a week the saying for those guys is these guys are good is, yeah. is really it, you know? And then their putting is unbelievable. They got to go spend, you know, that, that oh, six yeah. hours it, is probably encompassing there. Uh, it's incredible the amount of work those guys put oh. in and, and, the, and the practice and just the, the minute differences. Because I, I don't know what it was. If you compare the, the top, the number one golfer on the PGA Tour versus the 125 golfer, their average score is like less than half a stroke Correct. over a whole season. Yep. And so, you know, you're talking about the guy that earns, you know, what, $50 million, $100 million a year versus the guy that's earning, well, maybe two or $3 million. But it's a huge difference. So, you know, and that's this, that's one of the things, I don't know the, the exact statistics. I remember reading this in a book, though, about Secretariat one of the, you know, one of the greatest horses that that had ever lived. They said, if you added up the times of the three horse races that, that, um, it won, it was, it's like less than two seconds or a second or something. You know, if you added up all the time of how much they won each race by and added it together, it's like less than a second or two. And that just shows that whenever you're talking about the cutting edge, right? Like mm-hmm. living, doing something, what are you doing differently that's giving you that yeah. edge up, right? That I don't think we we relate that sometimes as to how important and how small the distance is that sometimes we beat the second yeah. place person. Yeah, the difference between winning and losing. And I think that the, the thing in insurance is, is you don't necessarily know what that difference is unless you really have the discipline to reflect on it and and have a practice where you're going to evaluate hey how did this how did this sales call go you know mm-hmm. was i really ticking off my boxes was i really listening and you know where did i really blow this you know this account correct and i i, I don't think a lot of times we we go through that practice we just we just kind of write it off and move on mhm that's right and we don't um I notice a lot of successful insurance agency owners and agents, I guess I should say, the ones who are really good at analyzing things. And it's just not analyzing numbers. It's just not analyzing insurance. They're the kind of person that analyzes life. 
-hmm. because analyzing life is so important when we're trying to decide, as you said, what was that thing, that little thing that I could do? What did I do wrong? What did I do right? I don't care if you want a large account. What did I do wrong that I could do better? What was the part that that was pitfall? Yeah, let's look at those. And that's the win and loss thing. But here's the real question. If there was two things, skill or luck, and they both got they both got you to where you are today, but one was more influential than the other, which did you say that that fits into your life, Walt? Skill or luck? Yeah, I I think you know you got to work on skill. You you know, and that ties into what we're just talking about. You got to work on on the margins, working on your strengths, working on those little things that that make you better every, each and every day, mm-hmm. but. By doing that, I think you create your luck. You know, mm-hmm. you got to get out there and create the luck. And and yeah, I think it luck plays into it. But uh, yeah, I got to vote that over the long term, I think it's skill. Uh, but uh, you know, we all have different talents and capabilities. But yeah, you know, I I think it's really a case of again having the discipline to know what your strengths are and working on developing those instead of trying to get good at everything. And then you're not necessarily good at anything. Hmm. I like that because, you know, this is really cool that you say this. I really, really like this because that's interesting. So you made me think about something you, in a way, the way you described it, you almost described it as luck is short term and skill is long-term. I, I don't know about, uh, you know, I think skill, I think it's more skill is something maybe you have more control of it and you can maybe craft it a little bit more where, where luck just kind of, it, it's it's a circumstantial type of thing. It so that has, goes to what I'm saying then. Luck is yeah, short time and yeah. skill is long-term is the but way. But you can think. never predict when luck's going to happen. Correct. It, it, it just, you know, it, yeah, and it's, it, and it's, it's very it's very tough to predict short term yeah. games as well. Yeah, you see yeah. it, it happen, you're like, wow. Yeah. But to bet that that's going to happen in the long term, so you made me you made me frame that a little differently for the first time. Actually, is that skill is more of a hmm, interesting. I think that luck could be considered short term. Um, you just, I mean, I guess there's probably some people that have just ridden luck through their whole life with no absolute skill. Yeah. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but. Um, I, I, I'm a big process person and, and I think anyone who's looking to build a business, build an agency, you got to hone your processes and, and be more efficient. And that, that's a skill, mm-hmm. but by honing those processes and, and doing things repetitively and knowing what works, what's efficient, what's effective, you create more, more of those chances for luck to happen. Fantastic, fantastic. So, Walt, man, take us back. Uh, where were you born? Uh, born in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where I live right now. But I spent uh, 23 years in Denver and Colorado Springs. Well, tell us about that. Place. Tell Take us from start us at high school, college, whatever, and bring us forward okay. today. Uh, went to Penn State uh, and, uh, you know, was an English major, had no clue what to do. And we're talking 40 years ago. So you can get a clue in my age, but, uh, you know, it was kind of the recession. And so I was looking for a job at the time and, you know, I was looking at as an English major, not a bunch that I could do, didn't have a whole bunch of technical skills or anything. So it was either a bank or an insurance company. 
and insurance companies were paying more money. So I went into the insurance business, interviewed with all the big insurance companies, Cigna, Travelers, Aetna, and uh, actually joined Aetna before they became part of Travelers okay. in the commercial insurance department as a marketing rep. Oh, wow. And, okay. And was transferred to Denver uh, after uh, two and a half years with the company and uh, had a number of offers to transfer. Yeah, that was kind of the deal if you're with a big insurance company. You've got to be willing to move all over the country, right. especially back then. And uh, turned down a couple transfer offers. And I was always, you know, the, the lifestyle of the, of the agents and the brokers just looked much more appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So I left uh, Aetna and joined uh, a lar- the largest insurance broker at the time in, in Colorado Springs that's now part of USI. And, uh, you know, and that's where I started my uh, career on the, on the brokerage side. And so and it was all commercial, all large commercial. Mm-hmm. Never wrote a personalized policy in my life. Okay, so so you when you say so you did become an agent and you were writing commercial yep. insurance. Yep. And what was your main line of insurance that you wrote? Main line of insurance that I wrote at the time at that time was contractors did some financial institutions and uh, left that brokerage firm because I had an in to put together a, an association program. And I put together an association program through the Auto Service Association of Colorado for their workers' compensation. Uh, it was through the Colorado State Fund at the time. It was a, a safety program, one of the first ones that we put together uh, okay. for auto body shops, uh, auto repair shops. And then we added the rest of PNC. And wow, uh, pollution was a big deal at the time for the cleanup. So. You know, it was really that focus on that line of business. So what do you and mean? We added, added, just a second, because I think there's a lot of people who are not, not clear on what you're saying. So you left the agency to because you wanted to put together a program for an association. So the auto service industry, roughly, let's just say, so came to you and said, hey, we want you to put together a program uh, specifically mm-hmm. for workers comp so that our people can be more safe. And so right. you left the agency just to go create that program. That obviously well, was very well, lucrative. Well, it was part of I, I there were, I left. There were some consulting things in in the interim, okay. uh, but this was a relationship I had with another uh, guy that I knew from my Aetna days okay. that had the relationship with the auto service guys, and uh, you know we we kept in contact and we were talking about doing some target marketing things. He was a big oil and gas guy okay. uh, up in Denver, and so, so while we were, you were putting you know, this together, our, were you still an agent? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 You know, it was it was a case of you know having the right philosophies and and alignment. You know, our thinking was as a as a brokerage was we were looking for the dirtiest, toughest lines of business that we could insure oil and gas, right. the pollution right. stuff. You know, all those kinds of things because that's where the premiums were, and that's where the agents aren't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you had to have some. You had to have some knowledge and technical skills, some risk management skill to be able to put those accounts together. That's correct. You couldn't just go in and bid them and no, and hope that you were going to get them. No. Yeah, I, because you were trying to sell pollution coverage at a time where these guys didn't want to pay the money for it, but if they want to sell their property, they had to buy it. Right. So. No, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I think that's something that uh. 
I think that's something that's really waking up to the industry. I believe that our training has been so bad in this industry. And when we talk about training, we talk about how we're taught personal lines or how we're taught commercial lines or how we work in an office or I believe our training that we forgot is that we do have a process. That's something that you said earlier. I believe that that's something we don't train. We don't emphasize that, hey, we do things this way because we have a process. Um, I think that there's just been a lot of different changes that have happened. And I think that the independent agency system has been such a bad trainer that it's like, I think a lot of these agents who were in the 80s and 90s and were grooming us for the 2000s and whatever going forward, it's like somehow, I don't know what it is. It's like this risk management type of of selling for insurance, um, getting to know a niche, getting to know workers' comp, whatever it could be, and becoming a specialist in that. That is nothing new. It's been around for no, a long time. No, it just was never translated into yeah. the agent of Jason Cass who started in 2001, 2002. I was just taught to sell insurance by, <laughs> you know, trying to destroy the other agent or getting in there and trying to find the weak, the weak, uh, you know, their pain points and those different types of things. And I don't think it's, I don't think I sold so much insurance. Now, this is important, Walt, and this is important for you little listeners to do, listen to this. I don't think I sold so much insurance because I was a great insurance person because I don't think I was because I didn't have the proper training. I sold a lot of insurance because I was a good prospector and the mm -hmm. law of large numbers got me in front of enough people that I sold enough premium and revenue that I could make a good living out of it. Does that make yeah. sense? No, I, I think it comes from the insurance carriers. It, it's the life insurance training model where you you sell, you build a network of people you know who know you, and that's kind of how you build your book of business. Good point. And and I, I think I I and so then that's you kind of after a while after you build that book of business, you start to realize, boy, I have a lot of junk in this book of business. That's right. A lot of a lot of accounts that just aren't profitable. They're not the right fit. And, and then mm. it gets into process yeah. and say how can you leverage that book of business if you have a bunch of junk in it? Right. You know, so you have to clean it up, but you know, it, you know, because, but if you're, you're trained just to write anything that your network's going to deliver to you, you're going to get a little bit of everything. Sometimes we and, just and, got too much junk in the trunk. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's still that kind of training and uh, yeah. it's still in the industry and, and you're right. It, it's just, we don't train how to really, you know, back then, you know, when I built my book of business, we didn't have all the digital tools and, you know, be able to, you know, get all the, the research on markets and, and right. everything that's at our fingertips right now. Mm -hmm. But now, geez, and it's, and it's almost because of all the noise, you got to plant your flag in a target market to be able to break through all the noise in the prospecting process. Dude, I've never really heard anybody put it to a relationship of the training of, ins of life insurance agents, though. And that makes total sense because how we kind of sell 
commercial yeah. insurance or insurance altogether is is framed a lot around that you know find their pain points what's their what's their concerns yeah. what's their fears and try to fill that and 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 that's not especially once you get into the big boys and that's something that i have learned dramatically over the last 2 years now is that when you start getting into the big agencies <laughs> they expect risk management yeah. oh, yeah. you know it's relationship is important but it is not that it is important you know what i mean yeah. um and so i, I mean it's always important important, but I'm just saying in those big ones, um, well, I have proven that relationship is not important because people are with somebody for 15, 20 years. They know the person, yeah. their current agent by name, and they are on their baseball team or their kids play baseball together. And we still take those on agent yeah, record oh, yeah. because our risk management plans are more in place. Well, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you need heart surgery. And you need to go to the best cardiologist. You have no relationship with that guy. Heck, you're lucky if you get five minutes with the guy right. before he cuts open your chest. But you trust him because he's the authority, he's the expert, and he's the guy that's going to heal you. Well said. He, he understands the process of how to fix your problem. But you, you, know, you're, you don't have a relationship with him. And so I think it's a case of, especially in the bigger commercial, you know, accounts know they need the expert to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. you know, you're exactly right about that. I like that a lot. And Walt, so when it comes to commercial insurance advisors, um, it's something that you have expertise in, also being in work comp and then setting up association programs. But you, would you say that you're, that you're, gig, your your shtick is to help people understand, like you say, struggling to turn connections into calls and then maybe calls into business. Um, that's why, why have you targeted in on that? Why do you feel as if you're the authority I, I, on that? Again, I think it goes back into what I saw as far as insurance agent and broker training. I think there's a lot of training out there once you get in front of the client but I'm not seeing a lot of training as far as how do you get in front of the client? Good point. What is that process? You know, uh, you know we're, we're just kind of taught all these old school things that you need to network, you need to belong to the right clubs, you need to be, in, you know, need to be involved socially. And then we kind of dabble around in all the other stuff. We do some SEO, we do some Facebook, we do, you know, maybe we do some direct mail, we do all these things, but and none of it really works. So, and, and, we, and we still fall back and doing cold calling and, you know, all these things can work, but can they work for you and your own personality and what you do, what your strengths are, and do they work for your market? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And do you have the companies that match the markets yeah, that you're wanting yeah. to go after anyways? You yeah, know? If, you don't have, if you don't have the carriers and you can't put the account together, it doesn't much matter. LinkedIn, um, in, to me, is, uh, I have to admit, and I like to admit my faults. Back in 2012, 2013, I actually have a video of me saying it. <laughs> I said that I felt as if the demise um, and the downfall of LinkedIn would come um, because I just, I, I would ask people, how many of you guys are on LinkedIn? And you would get 20% yeah, yeah. of the room that answered, and then, they, and then they would raise their hand, and I would say, okay, of you 20%, what do you do on there? And everybody would just go quiet, right? I don't. I understand that it's a prospecting tool. I get it. It can be used for a lot of different things, um, but I also feel as if it's very overrated. I feel as if I get connections that are shallow, um, only so they feel the need to hit me with a mm -hmm. uh, message below. It's becoming like a 
a, a culture thing, the jokeness of LinkedIn messages. It literally is. It's becoming a culture thing that like people just know it's like, oh my God, I'm going to get hit by something <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, I believe that there's two strategies. You should connect with everybody that wants to or only connect with certain people. Um, I believe both ways could be right or wrong. Um, I, I could see that. Um, but it seems like around 2015, 2016, 2017, it seems like LinkedIn kind of like took off from its plateau and went up, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a sales navigator or other different yeah. things that they were doing. Um, I, I, I think it was simply that Microsoft bought them. I agree. Them with yep. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people knew with Microsoft backing them, it's not going to go away. That, that's very that's true. It's not going to go away. And it's integrated with Salesforce. It's integrated with, you know, kind of clumsy integration as far as the Microsoft tools. But, so, so hold you know, on. So, there. so, so Walt, so I understand this is your thing. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to set you up for okay. a, for a long, long touchdown here. Because okay. I like beating up the LinkedIn because I think that I'm only saying to you what other agents are saying. And why I brought Walt yeah. on here is I want Walt to give us the tools. Get, let Walt give us the ideas. Like you just said, their integration with Salesforce. I guarantee you 99.9% of the loyal listeners do not know about that. The fact that Microsoft bought them, probably 50% of them don't know that. They don't follow and they're not geeks, no. remember, like us, Walt. But here's the, here's the thing. So you've got all this stuff and now I'm seeing LinkedIn starting to plateau again. And I'm starting mm-hmm. to see people like, okay, First of all, I don't want it to be memes. I don't want it to be Facebook. I get that. Yeah. Um, but it's it just seems so fake. It yeah. just does. Well, there's people on there with their little, you know, quotes and and then there, you know, you get the experts on there who like are big authors and they have two million followers. The Gary Vs and the Gary yeah. Vs, I like them, yeah. but they get old as well. Yeah, yeah. And if you try to message them, they don't reply back. Right. So it's just like I, I it's just it's it's like you scroll through it, it's just nothing but ads. And I'm just getting to the point in time where I'm thinking, okay, this isn't it. Then I know other agencies who say, Jason, we write millions of dollars in premium a month and our main tool is LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So, well, what the hell are these people doing that I and the rest of the world are not doing? Uh, yeah, that that's a great setup and a, a great question. It's a big question. It's a uh, very big question. Yeah, I think where a lot of people go wrong, first of all, is they lack a strategy. And they bought in. There is a lot of hype. The marketers tend to ruin everything. True that. Uh, you know, and that's what we're seeing. You know, there was the this push to get people on LinkedIn, and now the marketers have gotten onto it. Uh, the automation of the messages has done a lot of damage. LinkedIn is trying to clean that up, and that you know, if you have automation tools, they can shut down your account. Gosh. Uh, so, you know, and it's just not a smart way to really build relationships with people. But the you need to kind of understand what LinkedIn is and what it isn't. It's the biggest B2B real-time updated database. You know, people are in there and they're updating I like that. the database. So, you know, you can 
you can go to other B2B databases and match the information, but it's the users within LinkedIn that are updating that database. You know, whether it's a job change, whether it's, you know, the connections, you know, their, their contact information, whatever it is, you know, that that's the, the, the value of it. But the thing is to tap that database, you need to understand how LinkedIn search works right? and how to really use that and, and how to boil it down to the point, especially if you're a middle market, we get tricked and fooled about all these big numbers about, Hey, there's billions of people on LinkedIn or whatever you don't need a billion people or even a thousand prospects. You right. need a couple hundred of the right prospects. Come on. If you're in middle market mm-hmm. because you can't build relationships with thousands of prospects. That's and right. that's what makes a difference. You know, how are you building the relationship with that HR person, with the safety director that can bring you in to the CEO or the CFO? Because mm-hmm. those guys are too damn busy to take your call. Come on. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe it's the business development person. Maybe it's the guy who sells uniforms to that business. That's a strategic partner that can get you in there. So I think you need to be thinking more relationships and where the right relationships and how can you start to build those on LinkedIn? And the other thing I think that most individual producers, you know, we're not talking agency principles here, but if you're an individual producer, you know, you're not getting a lot of run on your, on the agency website. You might get a mention of your name or whatever. Mm -hmm. So LinkedIn gives you a platform to build your personal brand and to get noticed. I like that. Because if you get Someone refers you into an account or you meet them at a networking meeting, you call them, you shoot them an email or whatever, they're going to Google you. They're going to check you out online. Mm -hmm. And your LinkedIn profile, if you haven't published a bunch of stuff, your LinkedIn profile is going to be one of the top results and they're going to check you out there. And so if you don't have the information there and you're not telling the story, it's not a client facing and you're going to engage them to be curious, to want to talk to you, you, you kind of, you don't really know how much business you're losing by not having a presence there on LinkedIn. Yeah. Wow. You really, you, th- that was good, dude. I love, <laughs> I mean, and no, seriously, you, you, I, I've, been, well. I've, been, I've been preaching this for the last couple of years and yeah, so, well, no, you and that, it well. people are getting it and others are still ignoring it. And huh. I think a lot of people are ignoring it. Uh, tell us your thoughts and tell us your ideas and we're going to tell the world what you have to say. Yeah. We're t- you're telling us your thoughts and ideas and we greatly appreciate it. I love what you say here about how it's basically the largest B2B data um, platform out there. I mean, yeah. and, and it's being updated currently by those people who are in it. And I had never really thought about it that way. You know, it's like when data, some of the stuff first came out to where it would, it would amaze people that you could find out what the gas price was 60 miles up the road because, and then you would be like, well, how do they do that? And they're like, well, people who are driving by seeing it and updating it, you're thinking, who the hell is updating this? You know, but look at LinkedIn, LinkedIn is being updated daily by that stuff. Um, So, okay. So, so, so those were some interesting things. What are some tools out there that agents can use that work with LinkedIn? that can help them refine their their prospecting. And I know we're talking to commercial agents here, so let's, let's stay mm-hmm. in that realm. Um, what, what is your thoughts? I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm not a big 
I haven't been big on this, but I need to up my game on this. I think video is an untapped tool on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It's a way to separate out yourself. And I'm talking about whether you publish on LinkedIn or whether you're using the direct messaging part of LinkedIn. And so, and I think definitely the direct messaging using video, whether it's a, a quick welcome video, you know, you can, you can record that right on your mobile within LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know that, but it's a way to separate out yourself, uh, you know, from all those crappy welcome messages and messages that are trying to sell you something. Hey, just have a genuine video to say, Hey, Jason, great to connect with you. You know, uh, you know, I see that you're running agency intelligence. I love what you're doing. And, you know, this particular podcast really caught my attention when mm -hmm. you were talking about this. And, you know, just want to, you know, reach out and let you know, I appreciate you, you know, just short and quick, because you're going to get someone's attention by doing that. And so very few people are doing that. Also on video, I think, you know, when you publish video on LinkedIn, you got to have tools to caption those videos because so many people are listening to them at work without the sound on mm -hmm. and zoom titles or, you know, some of those tools that automate that whole process, you got to use it. And, and also it helps you to brand yourself, to brand those videos, to add maybe a color uh, banner that, matches your your agency color or whatever so i think there's little things that you do i noticed on your profile pic you have a a purple thing yeah. that goes around the profile picture did you did you create that yeah and i just did that on canva right uh, exactly uh, and and again it's one of those subconscious things when you think about okay someone does a search for you know, marketing consultant or insurance broker, insurance agent, they're going to get a whole list of people, and it, it's a subconscious thing. Where's their eye going to go when they see those photos in that whole list of searches? Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be something that shows up a little bit different. The other thing to remember on LinkedIn is your your headshot photo. Whenever you like something, you comment, you write a post or whatever, it follows you all around LinkedIn. Right. So it's really the subconscious branding that you're creating on LinkedIn. Well, where do we go next? Right? So we used to have, be like, how do I find out about somebody? And they were like, Hey, well, I've noticed that the people who are getting found out more are on this website, right? Let's, let's, let's think, let's think, um, Let's think 20 years ago, right? They're on this website. Mm -hmm. And then everybody's like, oh man, so if everybody needs to know me, I need to get on that website. So they all get on the website and there's all these people there if you search for this certain professional, right? And then right. they start noticing that one person is getting more business than everybody else. And they're like, man, what's that person doing? They're like, well, on that page where everybody's at, they've put their picture on their card, right? Or they put yeah. their picture on yeah. it. Oh, so, wow, yeah. that's unbelievable, right? Yeah, real estate so, people have been doing that for years. So they, now, so now you're guys. saying now we have the person on there with the picture, and now we need to start making sure that picture sticks out. I think that that's that's a. I don't think that's anything new to think about, but I think people aren't putting it into practice like you are. What's the next thing? What are we going to do? Do we all of a sudden make the picture like start spinning? Does it become just a video? I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, what well, I think it's a case of then, you know, pulling that that picture into your branding using your agency branded colors, nice. you know, so that you're 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 tying it so that when you're telling the story, there's a there's there's a cohesiveness and it's not like it's a jumble of different things, but, you know, where it's a real focused messaging. 
And, and that's then that creates credibility and authority uh, in the, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of this is subconscious stuff, but it's something that the, the prospect prospect can't articulate, but they understand it subconsciously. And it's really important that you, you have, again, it gets back to strategy, Jason, to, to say, geez, what is my strategy here? How do I want to use this? And what, what's my game plan to, to put this all together? Who is my target market? What's the messaging? You know, how do I need to appear to these people? How can I, I be distinctive and different to break through all the noise and, and get an audience to be able to tell my story? on how I can help them solve their problems. So Walt, let's um, kind of turn the, the conversation a little bit. I think it kind of fits into everything that we've kind of talked about right now. And as I was doing some, um, you know, doing a little research on you because you do have some great stuff and I, I do encourage the loyal listeners uh, to go check out waltgosher.com. And, and he also has some other links that maybe might be difficult for you to find. You can also go to his LinkedIn site. And if you look down in his about section, he's got all of the links specifically for his play playbook, the prospecting playbook, and other things that he does. Really, it's kind of cool if you take some time and look at it. Um, Walt did tell me that he wants everybody to know he is redoing his website. It's not a bad website, but he is trying to update it. But, but Walt, there's one thing that I want to zero in on and kind of carry it through the rest of this podcast. And that is, you have a part on there, uh, waltgosher.com forward slash prospecting dash playbook. For all the loyal listeners, you'll know, see where I am. You can scroll down. And it says how to go from a commodity agent to a trusted authority advisor. Now, I like that because it, that gets your attention because this is something we talk about a lot. So, um, uh, uh, well, we don't talk about it a lot, not as much as we used to, but what it is, is insurance a commodity? You know, there's that big ongoing debate where some say, yes, it is. And some say, no, it's not. And I really truly think, um, that both sides are correct. There are times that it is treated like a commodity, but then there's also a lot of products that are, you can't treat them like a commodity and people who are buying them know that they're not a commodity, um, like insurance, uh, like insurance in a middle market or a higher level, right? Those people are not so much buying the insurance. Those people are buying the services at the risk management solutions to keep their premiums low because they know they have to purchase it. They know that it's expensive, but they are also, um, have staff and have professionals who are on staff that let them know and understand that safety and risk management is important. But for the majority of insurance out there of what we know, maybe small business, regular um, insurance with there's personal lines, this even fits into this. We have this ongoing debate about is insurance a commodity? What do you think, first of all, about that? Do you, would you say in label, not middle market, not the big, okay, we're talking personal lines, small business. Would we say that that is a commodity, Walt? Yeah, that's a good question. And and I most of my work is with middle market uh, producers or agencies. Okay. And I think, it, I think it does apply in the middle market. Okay. Because it's more a perception. It doesn't matter what we say as agents or brokers. It, it really comes down to what's the perception of the client or the prospect. Well said. And, do they view you as a commodity or are you on the same level as their CPA, as their business attorney, as their banker? In other words, when they have a change of operations or they're making a major business decision, are you on, on a phone call or do you get 
the information after the fact? In other words, are they looking for your wow. insights to add to that business decision? And that that's when I think you separate yourself from being a commodity to being that trusted advisor, where you're basically, it, it's the perception of how they see the value of what you're delivering. And, and I think, yeah, certainly I think it's tougher on the personal lines and small commercial to to have that kind of positioning. But I think it's still fairly prevalent, even in middle market, because I think the large brokers, the national brokers kind of drive this a lot of times because they're, you know, we do the blocking the market thing and yeah. you know, we're just delivering a quote and we're matching coverages. Rather than, like you're saying, going in and, and really diving into, hey, do you have effective claims management? Do you have effective uh, safety and loss control? Do you have effective hiring procedures? You know, and, and is your broker helping to facilitate those types of things? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And, you know, if you're, if you're viewed as a commodity, it, it, it always boils down to a pricing discussion. That's, That's right. the only thing you have to separate yourself from someone as, else. As a producer, you could say to yourself, how do I know if I'm being seen as a commodity? You just answered it. If the only yeah. thing they're justifying you on is price, it, you have to look in the mirror, you know, yeah. and you have to realize that's what they're seeing you as. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, and, you know, I know this has been a conversation in, in the insurance business. I know uh, other uh, insurance trainers talk about this. Uh, Randy Schwantz has talked about it. Roger Sitkin, Scott Addis, I know has written quite a bit about this. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's really a, a case where individual producers need to create some kind of personal branding to position themselves to separate that perception out where they're not seen as that commodity, where they are seen as that trusted authority advisor. I agree. I agree. And and I think LinkedIn is one place where they have that opportunity to be able to do that. Very true. Very true. I heard um, my buddy uh, with Roger Sitkins, you're probably familiar with Brett Kelly, um, who is in my terms, not his or anybody else, the heir apparent I see um, to continue on that great organization. And one of the things I heard Brent say is he was talking similar to what you're talking about commodity versus uh, the trusted advisor. And he broke it down to uh, quoters and floaters, said mm-hmm. there was three types of, of individuals, prof- insurance professionals. There was the quoters and floaters, which they, you know, they're going to quote here, they're going to float over here, quote a little bit of this, quote a little bit of that. And, and then you have the insurance advisors or insurance agents, and then you have insurance advisors. And he said the difference between the insurance advisor and the insurance agent is similar to exactly what you said a minute ago, which is they are the insurance agent gets a call from his client and says, hey, I bought a building and I want you to insure it. Right. And that Mm -hmm. that's kind of how that relationship flows, not off the agent. But as you said, by the way, the, the client or the prospect sees it. Right. The insurance advisor gets a call two or three days before and says, hey, or two or three weeks before and says, hey, we're building this building. What's the implications of the insurance, right? right. It's before it's, you are part of the plan. You are the CPA. How's this going to affect my taxes? You are the law of, hey, do I have all the permits in the zones or our zoning, right? And you now are part of that equation 
before, not after the fact. And that's something you just said. And so that, that kind of, that, that, so you, are you a quoter and floater? And is price the only differentiator? Because you're being, you're being told by the client that you are a commodity. Now let's continue on though. Let's continue on. Let's okay. continue on. Cause this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Um, and I do agree in middle market. I do agree with you when I was saying it at the beginning, I think that, um, let me put it this way. It's easier to not be declared a commodity in middle market. And I'm talking the big, and I, and I, and I write yeah, yeah. this and I write this because they assume that I have to come with more than price. Yeah. Right? I, they, think, I think that's true. I think yeah, that's they, true, they assume but... that now at the end of the day, if I'm not bringing those other services and they're justified at a price, that's on me. But um, I've been in those situations in middle market as I've kind of getting, getting used to this in the last year and a half, two years, I, I mean, at the beginning, I was getting annihilated. You know, I was getting annihilated because they were just seeing me as a commodity. And and that's what um, David Carruthers and Kaling Commercial has shown me is to how to not set yourself up to be that commodity with the services they provide. So that's why I want to continue on. I want to hear what you say, okay. but I want to continue on as to your part as to how to not be an advisor. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think the game, the expectation, you know, to reflect on what you just said there, uh, the expectation is that, it's going beyond that insurance advisor to being the you know the the proactive insurance advisor. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that's the expectation. Almost where you're acting as that outsourced risk manager as a you know almost on the staff of the CFO or the CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really the positioning that you're trying to get to with the organization in the middle okay. market space. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So here's how you broke this down, how to go from a commodity agent to a trusted uh, authority advisor. Now, I want to spend some time on this because there's a lot here. If I'm correct, there's nine stages in so much. There's actually three stages, but like three many stages per. And if you're looking at it, you can see here, he says, if you're a commodity at the beginning and picture it kind of like shoots and ladders in a way, if you're if you are not looking at this, but you're picturing in your brain, the first one is vision. Um, there's a, there's a, you know, this is the foundation basically step one, and that is in that vision, um, and your target and then your message. So in this foundation, you talk about clarify your mission, your vision, your goals, your plans, discover your perfect fit client in quotes, and plus create your unique value message. So you're saying that this is the first stage of how you're going to go from that commodity to that trusted authority. Yeah, I, I think the big mistake a lot of people, probably the biggest mistake I see people making on LinkedIn and probably, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or any of their prospecting is they they kind of skip over the strategy or their foundation piece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it starts with that vision, mission, your goals, really understanding and having a clear idea what your why is and knowing exactly, you know, what's driving you. Why are you trying to build a book of business? in the first place, you know, or is it to take care of your family? Is it to leave a legacy? Is it just to earn gobs of money? Is it to, to be a principal in the agency? What, what is really that driving why? Mm-hmm. And then how do you break that down into tangible, specific goals that are meaningful that you can use as a mechanism to ultimately track your activity? Because if there's not something that's holding either yourself accountable or someone that can hold you accountable, you're probably not going to take the action that's necessary to, to make it happen. 
So it, it has to start with that why. The, and mindset is such a big thing in our Ooh, business. Huge. And, and if you're not really clear and focused on that why and revisiting it almost every day, you know, mm -hmm. cementing your vision about, you know, hey, whatever works, if you need to put pictures on your wall or, you know, do a slideshow mm -hmm. every day and you just are repeating that vision in your head every day, I think that's just very critical. I agree. Uh, you know, it sounds like, sounds like kind of woo-woo stuff sometimes, but it actually works mm -hmm. uh, because it just sets your head in the right space to do the activity that you need to be doing. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. You know, when, when you talk about your why, I think you have to, we have to think about that from a high, a high level, right? And so yeah. there's many different assets and many different things that you can do. One of the assets I think that you can do to create the why is something I had been talking about two or three years ago. Loyal listeners, I don't know if, you, if uh, you've heard this. If you're new, you probably haven't. But I break down agencies, owners into three different types. And you could say insurance agents as well. But I break them down into long-term thinking into three different types and three buckets that then there's many different types inside each one of these buckets. Okay. First is I'm the insurance agency owner and they're going to have to drag me out of here. I'm going to die sitting at my desk. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's fine. Right. That's, yeah. that's fine. That's fine. It, it, that, that original founder mentality. You can't. That's right. And I'm it. not saying that they'll be the one in charge. They're just saying, I don't want to do anything else but insurance for the yeah. rest of my life. I'll sell this thing out when I'm 55, but I want to stay in it. I want to be yeah. part of it. Right. The second one is I love insurance a ton and I and, it, and I'm excited to do it. But it also allows me the time and the money to be able to do what I truly have a passion for or I truly love, mm -hmm. okay? There's that type of agent. Then there's the third type of agent, which is I like insurance because it gives me the opportunity, the time and the money to be able to do what I wanna do. And as soon as I'm able to make enough money doing that, I'm gonna quit being an insurance agent. Mm -hmm. There's those three different types. Right. So we have to understand from a high level when we're looking at our why, which one of those three types are we? That's important. Yeah, well, that's important. That's, that's very important because we have to, you know, Mark Cuban says never start a business with an exit plan. I think that's stupid. If you're number three, if you're number one, you could see that you don't need an exit plan. Number two, probably don't need an exit plan unless I get lucky and make a lot of money off my side hustle. Easy for Mark Cuban to say that when you had an exit and you made billions of dollars. Come on, Walt. Come on, Walt. I love it. That's right, brother. Don't make me pull the mountain out and let you get on top of it and preach. I'm telling you, that is that, that you're right about that. But anyways, uh, my business uh, partner and I, Travis, he he loves he loves Mark Cuban, and every time Mark I like, Cuban says, I like Mark Cuban too. I, think I do too, but. Travis, insights, but I but think Travis has a lot of brain like Yeah. Yeah. It's, but anyways, so, 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 so I think about that though, because if I'm number three, 
I need that exit strategy because mm -hmm. that's going to dictate what type of client I'm going to go after. If I need a certain amount of money to be able to exit at the age of 50, 55, 60, and then go do something else, I need to know that and have that set up. So that that that's going to look differently sometimes than that one or that number two. So I think that's important. I always think about that and help agents understand that when you're discovering that why, you need to not before, you need to figure out how long you want to be in the business before you figure out your why as to why you want to do it. I really do believe that that's something that a lot of people don't think about. And in this world that we live in, in today, um, it's easy to create a business and, and start it and in three or four months have it very successful. It's, it's yeah. a really weird thing, but you can do it. So anyways, the, the vision, the target, and the message. Before we jump on to number two to the build, anything you want to finish on that with the foundation? Uh, I think, yeah, I, I think we pretty much covered it. I think it's it's a, one of those easy things to step and I to, uh, I to to skip, but I think it's something you need to, you don't just do it on one, one shot and put it away. You need to revisit mm -hmm. it and keep refining it too. You are very right about that. Very right about that. So on number two, the second, I mean, not number two, but the second layer, um, if you're looking at this graph, uh, we've the shoots and ladders taken us up over the top and to build um, your unique story to grab attention, your client facing media platform and your 13 week connection and content playbook. So in the foundation, loyal listeners, we were at vision, then target, then message. Now we're swinging into the build, which is story platform and playbook. So we need to build our story, build our platform and build our playbook upon the vision, target and message, which was our foundation. Give me a little bit of a lowdown as to how you see that rolling out. How do they, how should, what should they be doing to think about their story that then outlays into their platform and playbook? Well, well, before we skip ahead to that, I think there's Sorry. a couple, couple things in the foundation piece. Oh. Uh, secondly, is the target market is to really get clear on who, who you're really serving, who can you best serve, and and who should you really be targeting as far as prospecting and your prospecting activity. And again, uh, we get tricked into numbers on this stuff. Uh, especially middle market, uh, we think we need thousands of potential prospects or clients. Uh, I, I think you need to boil that down a little bit more refined to say, geez, who are your, who's your dream 100 perfect fit clients or your dream 150 and really start to build relationships with those people and yes. get to the point in your pipeline where they're sales qualified prospects. Because a lot of times in middle market, it's a case of timing. Uh, you know, whether it's internal timing, a lot of cases, you know, talking to the right person who's comfortable with what you're saying, that CFO who's maybe new in the job, doesn't have the, uh, the ear of the CEO, so he's not trusting his decision making at, at that point. There's a number of factors or being able to, you know, fire the current broker a lot of mm -hmm. times as a factor or even just, you know, they're comfortable with the status quo, which is the biggest thing to overcome. Uh, mm -hmm. so you really need to get clear in that target market, especially in LinkedIn, the more focused, the more you, you focus in on a target market, the better results. If you're a generalist, you, you then fall back into being that commodity because you're saying the same thing as everyone else. 
Yeah, um, and and I and I believe that perfect fit, as you're talking about, rather than having thousands only looking at uh, looking at a hundred, hundred fifty to two hundred prospects that you're going to eventually make your clients. Um, you know, when you go to work at a captive or you start in a new agency, they'll say, "Hey, write out a hundred or two hundred people that you want to make connections with," right? And that's usually on personal lines or something like that. And guess what? If you do it right in middle market, those two hundred people, if you really work those two hundred people, that's all you'll ever need. I mean, you really, truly yeah, will, especially yeah. if your revenue is ten thousand or more per client, right? I mean, you're you're talking some serious, some serious thing, and that's what I love about middle market is I'm my prospecting is not on how many people I can find; it's how many times I can touch those quality people that are in my list, and so. One of the things that I learned from this uh, in doing middle market over the last couple of years, Walt, is it made me feel weird that I wasn't always constantly looking for the next person, right? Yeah. I mean, that's because that's what you have to do when you're getting four hundred to a thousand dollars in revenue, right? It's like I got to get the yeah, next. If, you know, if you're personalized small commercial, you're trying to meet everyone. That's you know, right. You're you're just out there trying to meet you know everyone, trying to build relationships with everyone. You know, you're in you're in line at Starbucks, you're trying to start a conversation, you're trying to do all those things. And and in middle market, it's a different shift. You're trying to right. to hit that HR director or the safety director or the CFO. Right. You're trying to be, you know, build that relationship over time and do it without, you know, coming across with uh you know where you're just uh you know, a complete sales jerk about it, mm -hmm. where you're really coming from a point where you're trying to help their business. Correct, correct, correct. So I think that 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 is important. And then what's the what's the message that the, the message part is really you know, and, and and I know this is something that David Carruthers talks a lot about about doing research. And I think you really you need to research uh, what your clients value about your service. And the message, a lot of times the message is what your clients say about your service and how they value your service. And you can come up with a messaging, but the message, the messaging is hidden with what the clients perceive. And so you need to have a system mm -hmm. to be able to get that feedback from your existing clients. And it really starts with, you know, you know, it kicks off with getting their net promoter score, you know, scale one to 10, how likely are you to refer me to a peer or another business owner? And then from there, getting their feedback on, you know, what problem did they have? How did they feel about how you approach them? What did they value about the process? You know, what, what did they, what did, they well, did does LinkedIn give you tools to help you do this, to, to, to drive, to find that unique value message? Um, I, I think somewhat, yeah, I think you can get that by asking people for recommendations. I think you can do it by, you know, posting content on LinkedIn. You know, a new tool on LinkedIn is the whole uh, survey tool. I think it's a little bit goofy because mm -hmm. it's now overplayed because it's new. But I think you need to use it in, in spots. But I, I think you need to make it part of your onboarding process when you bring a new client on to say, Hey, you know, what's your, what is, how do you grade the net promoter score, you know, and filter them into getting that feedback and then filter them into for them to leave a LinkedIn recommendation and then ultimately take that and, and make it into a, a success story or a case study. You know, because then it has multiple uses. It, it's 
It's helping you to create content that you can use to establish your credibility. Plus you're getting, you're creating that feedback loop with your clients that's ongoing. And, and, and this is something that is ongoing. You need to have that feedback from clients. And you can do it with prospects. Yeah. Because like that, that's when they'll give you some of the most truest feedback, yeah. right? And so a question you can ask out there, loyal listeners, is, is, is why did you decide to do business with the agent you're with now? Right. Why did you decide to do business with the agency you have now? If I had a magic wand and you could wave it over your insurance um, situation, what would you change, right? These are the things they're telling you why they bought, and they're also telling you why they would possibly leave just by those two questions. Why did you purchase from who the person you are? And they're going to tell you, right? Well, you know, at the first they were really good. They came in here, but then they got a new agent and I haven't heard from them in three years. Whoa, that's huge. If I'm the agent coming in or I'm the agent trying to prospect here, you know, as opposed to why did you purchase from them? Well, I tell you what, they're really good agency, really good agent, but it does help that the owner is married to uh, the agent's daughter. And it's like, okay, I'm glad I asked. Yeah, I'm glad I asked that question, right? So many of these times we don't ask those questions. And Walt, I say it all the time. Those questions are going to get asked and they're going to get answered. As an agent, you decide when it happens. You're going to do it at the beginning. I think a lot of at the end. Yeah, we're afraid of the rejection. And so Mm -hmm. we don't ask the questions. But you're right. Why not ask you in the beginning and not waste a whole bunch of time on a prospect that's not going to go anywhere? Our egos, our egos tell us that regardless of what they say now, they don't know yeah. me. They well, just don't know how awesome I am, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, let's continue on though. Let's go on because I like your vision, your target, and your message. Very, very, very true. But now you go on to your story where you- Yeah, and now we're kind of shifting into- grab attention. Okay. Now, now you have an idea of the strategy. You have a foundation. You, you kind of have a purpose of mm-hmm. what you're trying to do, how you're trying to position yourself. And so now- you, you have to build that into some type of platform that can carry the message. And the story part, to really make it simple, is to how are you going to lead that prospect through a buying experience or a buying journey? And I know that's something we've talked a lot about in the industry. How do we deliver that buying experience? And and I think you need to think about it in stories to say, how do you make that your potential client, the hero, you know, how, you know, because they're facing challenges in their business. They're, they're sitting there in status quo. They're thinking everything's fine and dandy, but all of a sudden, you know, the monster pops up their head and and you're really the sage guide. You're the Yoda, you're the Obi-Wan Kenobi that's leading them to solving their problem. And they have villains, they have you know, they have the government that's taxing the hell out of them. They have all kinds of compliance and regulations. They have, you know, they have attorneys that are trying to snipe and steal their business. You know, that's the stuff that's happening in in business nowadays. And, and you need to coach it and craft how you can solve those those problems, those business problems in the form of a story, because that's what gets people emotionally involved. Yep. True, true, true. And then the platform, you use a client-facing media platform. What does that mean? The client-facing media platform would be, you know, first of all, the LinkedIn profile where you're able to tell that story. You're able to create some curiosity to get people engaged in the Mm -hmm. story. And, And the platform needs to be built where your clients are active, where you can meet them. You know, it might be 
it, it might be LinkedIn. It might be a podcast, just as mm -hmm. we're talking about here. It might be on your website. It, it, it might be the platform might be uh, connecting with an association and having a platform through the association where you can deliver webinars or in-person talks or showing up at their trade shows. So you need to pick the platform that fits your target market, where they're gathering. Right. And, you know, LinkedIn is, it, 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 it's a great test platform in a lot of cases because you can then test out a lot of the messages uh, and it's free. And right. you can get some really great feedback from it. And, and it's a platform everyone in B2B needs to be on anyway. Well, and think about it. If it happens in the real world, it happens just the same in the virtual world most of the time. So when I walk into a room and there is a, is a, there's a room and there's it's a networking event, we're always in our little pockets, right? Our little circles, everybody's mm -hmm. sitting around yeah, talking. Yeah. And you look over and you see the CEO of the hospital and the executive director of the chamber and they're in this group. And you're thinking to yourself as a, as a young professional or you're thinking to yourself as a veteran, it doesn't matter. I, I wish I could, I, I'd like to be in that group. I'd like to be yeah. in that conversation right now listening linkedin allows that yeah right? it allows you to be in that conversation just like you would be in a networking event except you don't have to feel uncomfortable about walking in and introducing yourself to everybody you can just jump in by being a part of those people's stories listening to their pod or to their to their posts following along with them and then commenting and giving them feedback so because then that's how they're going to get to know you and if linkedin realizes that you know that you're following them and they're following you they're going to just naturally start putting you together and so it's kind of like going to that networking event and everybody's kind of in their own little pockets and then all of a sudden the event director comes through and creates new pockets of 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 people to go together and they put you in that group Right. Yeah. They put you in that group because that's what they saw as you being interested in them and, and, and that thought process. That's what's going on behind the scenes with the algorithm of LinkedIn. And so getting involved with those conversations is going to have LinkedIn bring you further into those conversations. And then you're going to pop up on their recommendation to connect list. And then that's how this whole process goes. And so I think people sometimes don't put it was just like what I've been doing the rest of my life, just like now. Yeah, it's when you think about it, LinkedIn is really just a big trade show, uh, you know, and interesting you know, way to look at it. And your profile is your booth. And so are you attracting your your perfect fit clients to your booth? And are you having conversations that are then building relationships with those potential perfect fit clients? Interesting. I never thought of it that way. The playbook. What's our 13 week connection and content playbook is what you lay out. Uh, so loyal listeners, we have vision, we have target and the message. That's our foundation. Then we jump up to building, which was the story, the platform, and now the playbook. What would be, what give this us what really that to, looks like. Paul. Set up, you know, this is where you match your strategy and to take consistent action. And you need to have consistent action into who you're going to connect with or who, who you're going to prospect to, who you want to get in front of, uh, who you want to build connections with on LinkedIn, or whether you want to reach out to them on, on email, do a drop-in visit with them, uh, send them a letter, pick up the phone and call them, whatever. Who do you want to, who, who do you want to connect with and how are you going to connect with them? You need to have a strategy for that. And then secondly, what kind of content did you need, do you need to produce uh, to 
to really carry the message out there to get their, you know, to create some curiosity, to grab their attention, to move them along that buying process. Uh, and sometimes it's an educational process. Sometimes it's, it's a lot less than that. You know, a mm. lot of times just to trigger it, uh, first of all, we, we end up saying too much. We're trying to sell them right up front, whether gotcha. if we send a LinkedIn message or an email out or whatever, we're, we're just trying to create, we're just trying to see if they're even, if they even own a problem that we can solve, first of all, but then mm-hmm. trying to push them to a phone call and selling them insurance and doing all these things. Hey, take it a step at a time that matches that buying experience. You know, mm-hmm. you want to make that buying experience as friction free as possible. And so, and to create that curiosity, first of all, are they even open to having a conversation? Are they even open to having a conversation, a back and forth messaging conversation on LinkedIn? Correct. Uh, you know, before you even get them on the phone. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and a lot of times we have a lot of content that's, that we've created either on our website that we can repurpose and reposition on LinkedIn, whether it's articles, posts, videos, whatever. Uh, but then we're usually we're missing pieces of, of that content. It might be we're missing case studies. It might be we're missing parts that really need to tell that whole story uh, that relate to the buying journey of that potential client. And, and on your website here, do you lay out the 13 week or is that something they call you about and you review it, it's that something with them? we work with and say, okay. Okay, okay, what's your game plan to create content over a 13 week period? And I, I say 13 weeks because that's basically a quarter. And mm-hmm. when you think about LinkedIn, especially if you're posting you know, posts that go into the news feed, this stuff kind of disappears and you can repurpose a lot of that same content again the next quarter because, mm-hmm. you know, you're the problems that you solve, the messaging is pretty core, pretty consistent if you really nailed down the strategy. And so it's not like you're looking for a lot of new content. It's maybe telling it in a different wording or a different positioning. Different context. Yes. Okay. So, so foundation build, and now we're going up to the third level, which uh, the, the shoots and ladders is taking up us up back up over the top. And so you have publish, engage and follow up. So, now we've done all the other. Now it's time to publish that stuff through posts, videos, and articles. Right. And, and so this is the action uh, phase uh, mm-hmm. of the three steps. You know, you got to take consistent, persistent action. doesn't matter whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's any kind of prospecting. The consistency is what makes the difference because consistency is what creates credibility in the long run. True. And, and so, you know, first of all, to be consistent is the content that you're going to publish out there on LinkedIn. And it might be starting just being consistent on commenting on other uh, posts of people in your target market or strategic partners to be able to get that visibility and credibility out there with your potential market. Uh, And then having, you know, you have a game plan, a 13-week plan to really create some simple posts around questions that maybe your your prospects are answer, asking. And so you just do some simple posts. Uh, and, and I think a lot of times we get caught up in doing too much content uh, you know, because that's what the marketing gurus are saying. Hey, you need to be on LinkedIn. You need to be posting stuff every day. And uh, I'm not so sure that you need to be doing that. Uh, 
probably, you know, do something that you know you can commit to doing consistently, whether that's once a week or maybe it's twice a week. Uh, because if you're saying, geez, I need to do this, you know, five days a week or seven days a week and you do it for a week or two and then it doesn't happen, you, you blow the consistency right out of the water. So it's really making a commitment to saying, okay, what content can I consistently produce? Yes. I like that, dude. I like that. It, consistency. Consistency creates credibility in the long run. Love that. Love that yeah. a lot. Love that. I know you've said a lot of great things, but that's very simplistic. I say that consistency is one of the most important things in any business. This sounds goofy, but it's true. You can do the wrong thing consistently and you'll actually come yeah. out where people like it becomes the right thing, right? People are just like, I mean, you can't continually keep doing the wrong thing. And then, but I like, I've never been able to place it with it, but it's the consistency is what building that credibility. And well, I think well, that credibility piece is huge. Well, you create the expectation that, hey, if something happens uh, in the mind of that, that client or the prospect, they know they have a comfort level of how you're going to respond. Because you've shown that you've been consistent in how you how you've responded in the past. That's right. Oh, I love that. That was that was good, Walt. That was good. That was good. Engage. So we're going to engage them now with connecting, commitment, coffee online, offline, many different ways. Yeah, yeah. The engage part again. It 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 might be the connection. You know, the commenting on posts on you know posts of your your potential clients, your clients, strategic partners. Where and again, it's not just commenting to say, "Hey, great post," or you know, "I agree" or whatever. Add some insight. You know, add you know, have a take and add something to that conversation because then you're you're creating some following and and that you're you actually do have some value that you can deliver to people but if you're just you know liking and and agreeing you're really not adding anything to the conversation you're not building your profile at all if that's all you're doing and the other part of it is having a cadence or a consistency on your messaging with uh connections Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. And I think a lot of people miss this part. And I think it's becoming more and more important, probably more important to building the relationship than the content itself. And, and it's more important because so many people have gotten this wrong. We've all gotten all the spam messages and junk stuff and, 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 and it's been overplayed, but you have to think about it to be, you can't automate the follow-up. It, and especially that's why you need to focus on 100, 150 prospects because you can't follow up on thousands of them. That's right. And, and so, again, it needs to be consistent. And, and LinkedIn messaging, you need to think about it almost like text messaging. You know, it, it's not a long form type of thing. It's you're, you're trying to almost create that text conversation interaction where it, it becomes almost real time where you know you can't really template it out then you just have to be able to to know how you're going to respond to create that curiosity where people where you almost it becomes the logical next step where someone says you know you created you added some great points here we really need to hop on a phone call i need to i have some other questions i need to talk to you about where it becomes the the prospect's decision to want to talk to you that's right. And that's kind of the relationship you're trying to do through that whole uh, 
conversation with people on LinkedIn. The idea is, is you want to get them off of LinkedIn. Yes, that's good. The idea is you want to get them off there. I like that. So the, um, oh gosh, now I lost my train of thought on what you were talking about because this was pretty good. It'll come back to me. So, so here's, this is earlier in the podcast, we were talking about the, um, the small difference that first and second place can be. We're talking oh, yeah. about secretariat and those Yeah, things. we're talking about golfing and- Yeah, and all that, yeah. right? You have this nine, three phase, nine step stage process, right? So let me just bear with me here, Walt. So as loyal listeners, I want you to think about this because we have the foundation, which is the vision, the target, the message. Then we have the build, which is the story, the platform, the playbook. And then we have the action, which is the publish and the engage. And there's one more. And what's amazing to me, and I want you to really think about this, loyal listeners, open your mind for a minute. We do all the hard work. We create the vision. We create the target, the message, the story, the platform, the playbook. We spend tons of time in finding maybe people that will publish it for us and help us engage. We're doing it. We're trying to figure it out. But those who make the money, who are in the million dollar round table, whatever you want to call it, who are the elite people in our industry, do the last one. You can do all of them, but if you don't do the last one, it's you, you basically just wasted the other seven steps or the other eight steps, and it's the follow-up. Yeah. We have all heard that that's the difference between those who are excelling. You could be a high performing, but to be a high excelling person, you have to have a sophisticated way to follow up. And when I say sophisticated, I mean just keeping track, right? An Excel spreadsheet can be sophisticated. How many people did I talk to? How many people did I propose? How many people did did, did we end up writing? A simple thing like that of, of, okay, how many of these, why are we not turning more of these into this? We say it a lot. I've said it before. If you can't measure it, then it's not real. You can't tell yourself you have a 40% closing ratio if you don't track it through follow-ups or through um, testing, tweaking, and doing all the things that you're talking about. So I think that this is so vital because we could do all of it. And really, to be honest with you, all the rest was the hard work. Yeah. I don't know why this is, why, why we do this as humans. We'll do all the hard work that we get to the follow-up, which is doing nothing more than calling somebody back or still engaging with them or reminding them of maybe the, the things that they told you that, that you could solve for them. But we don't do it for some reason. It's like once we're told no, and I will say it's different in personal lines. Like in personal lines, there's a bunch of people, they'll send out new quotes to somebody every six or 12 months when they renew. I'm not that type of person. I'm the kind of person that if you broke up with me once or told me no once, I won't come back to you. But not when I'm prospecting. When I'm prospecting, I'll hit you a million times. Once we do business, if you decide to leave me, then I have an issue and most agents don't, but I do. But tell me about this follow-up. I mean, how can we follow up, track, test, tweak? And what are some of the things you tell the people you work with? Well, the, the thing I'm telling people, you know, again, you got to have a follow-up system. You know, you let's, you know, let's back up a step. You've gone through the cadence where you've tried to engage them. Maybe you got them on the phone and, and you place them. They are a sales qualified prospect. And so you keep them in your pipeline, but the timing isn't right. 
And right. so you got to follow up. You got to keep in front of them. You got to keep building the relationship. And a lot of times, and again, we're going to talk middle market here. You know, you're building relationships maybe with multiple people within that account. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're building relationships with the CFO, with the HR director, with uh, you know, maybe it's even the plant manager uh, mm-hmm. because they're going to be implementing a lot of this stuff. Uh, you know, so you know, how are you going to do effective value add follow up for different personalities or different functions within that account? Uh, it's true. Yeah. And part of it is, you know, sharing information with them, just being in touch with them. Uh, And and I think the other thing that that I I'm recommending this to a lot of people is you need to have a process for follow up where it's not going to drive you crazy, too. And and again, to be consistent on it. And probably the best thing for follow up is exactly what you and I are doing here is. You know, create a podcast or a show or something where you can interview people within that target market. Interview your clients, interview prospects, interview the strategic partners who serve that target market. I know this is something uh, your buddy Ryan Hanley uh, is doing with his, I, I think it's Central New York Capital. Capital Region Report. Yeah, which is great. He's he's talking to other business owners. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you really give those business owners a platform to tell their story. So you're really helping to, to co-promote them to other Correct. businesses, you know, in, in your, in your marketplace. And so they're going to want to help to promote you too. So it's, it's really, a, it, I think it's probably the best thing you can do right now I from agree. an ongoing content standpoint. And plus it's very much of a leverage type of thing. It's something you can scale. You can then take, that that podcast and just you, as you and I are doing, you know, you have the video. You can throw that up on uh, YouTube and video sharing sites. You can pull off the audio, put it into a podcast site. You can take snippets of the video, post those on LinkedIn. You can take the the uh, transcript and create articles or even case studies or or even guides or ebooks about those things. So there's mm-hmm. multiple ways you can slice and dice the content, and you're really talking about geez, you can knock out your whole months of content in an afternoon interviewing four people. You really can. That's so true. And that's why we speak about that so much. Um, So I created MP Local, which is nonprofit local, where I have now started to interview executive directors and people who work in nonprofits. And the only reason is, is I've seen how I've built my authority inside the insurance Mm -hmm. industry by having this podcast. What's crazy is and I and I want to and I want to um, warn people about this. This is important. I did not start this podcast to build authority. I did not start this podcast to make money. Those were side effects of something that came after you built your authority. I did this to give this give a voice to those to have no voice. There were the Waltz. There were the young agents. There were people out there that were achieving and doing great things and helping people, and they weren't getting heard. You know, if you weren't on a stage at a, at a, at a con- big eye convention, no one knew who you were. And that's where I figured that if I created this pot, pot platform, now all I did was just expose people's names and people, and I did it consistently, and people now have become attracted to it. And, 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 and the amount of totals that I don't understand how they would be interested as they are, and they, they listen religiously. You loyal listeners are awesome. But I want to keep in mind, it's also the reason why we created WeGotYourPodcast.com. 
and and this is a commercial, but it's not a commercial. Ryan Hanley's Capital Region Report that he does is produced by WeGotYourPodcast.com. MP Local is produced by WeGotYourPodcast.com. David Carruthers Power Podcasters, that's created by WeGotYourPodcast.com. You know, I could go on and on, actually, explain this book to me. Um, we've got a new one joining us and another one in, in August. We're doing a lot. Eric Garcia's Building Us. Eric Garcia's Plan Wisely. These are all podcasts that we're doing. I created it, Walt, for exactly what you just said. You can literally do two or three podcasts. You have all your content for podcasting you need for a month. You're building your authority. As you said, you can rip off the blogs, the video, blah, 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 blah. If you can't, if you didn't really grasp what Paul said, hit that 30 second or that 15 second button about five or six times and listen to what Walt just said. Podcasting is unbelievable. And why podcasting I like it? There's a couple different other reasons. Podcasting is unbelievable, Walt, because with video and with blogging, usually you have to be involved in the whole process. Mm -hmm. You have to write the blog. You usually have to edit it. You have to make it look pretty. You have to get images. You have to make sure Google likes it and you need to put it out there. And you can have somebody else do that, but you guys have all known it's never as good as when you do it because it's your creativity that's making it. This content is artwork and it's like video, you know, video, you have to shoot it. You see it in your mind, how it is, you know, maybe you have somebody help you with the copyright, but then you've got to edit it, put it all together. It takes a lot of time. Podcasting's not that way. The only beauty of podcasting is, is what we need from Ryan and from everybody we do is we tell them, we just need you to record and be done. Because coming in and taking it and editing it up, it's, it's artwork, but we don't have to have your genius. Actually, most podcasters have no idea how to do it correctly. And so we are actually able to do that for them. So all they have to do is just the one hour work. It would be like doing video and all you had to do was just shoot the video and walk away. It'd be like doing a blog with all you had to do was just talk it out and someone wrote it out for you and published it. That's the beauty of what it is. Now, one last thing. A lot of times, social media has changed the way that we do inbound and outbound marketing into the fact that we've always pushed things upon people, right? In the 60s, 70s, 80s, throughout advertising history, it was here's who we are and look what we can do for you. And as opposed to now, we're pulling people into the conversations. That's what social and digital marketing did is it pulled people into the conversations and it really changed the, the, the paradigm for this to say, it's not so much that we will find you or you will find us, we will find you, right? Like as a business, I will find you because I'm looking for my target market rather than you just finding me because you think that I can help you out. That's a big thing. Podcasting takes us back to the old days. Podcasting allows them to find us. And I think that that's a powerful thing if you think about it. All other forms of marketing are made for us to find them, right? For us to get to that audience. And we are, but what we've already done with podcasting is we have already solidified ourselves as the authority and we build that authority by attracting people to us. So I, I know I, I know that sounds like a lot and loyal listeners back it up again, but I'm just saying podcasting is still kind of in the old school form of advertising that it doesn't allow you to find them, they still find you. And I think that that is very, very important. And they find you because you're starting in the niche. You're not just creating a platform and then going and finding the people to build the audience. They're actually finding you. So yeah. this is something I've thought a lot about. Walt? Yeah, I, I think it, it closes the loop on what we were just talking about, about the process. It really 
cements you as that trusted authority within your market. And, and when you think about it as an agent, as a producer, probably the the thing that you're probably most comfortable doing is questioning and interviewing people because mm-hmm. you got to do that to create clients in the first place. You know, if, if you suck at doing that, you're probably not going to get a whole bunch of clients. And so, you know, it's a natural talent or a skill that it's either a natural talent or a skill you developed over time. And I think we all need to get better and better at doing it. Uh, We probably, and I know I'm guilty of this, we all need to get better at listening. And I think by doing the podcast, you increase your own skills that make you a better producer in the long run, because it, it, you build your listening skills, you build your questioning skills along with doing the activity and building your credibility, building your authority. So again, it hmm. has tremendous scale. I have never thought about that, that it makes me a better listener and it allows me to ask better questions when I'm with my prospects because of the things I do on my podcast. That makes total sense. I've done like 430 yeah. of these things, right? So it makes, wow, that's, a, that's an interesting well, You're probably question. just doing it intuitively. You're not yeah. thinking about it, but maybe, you know, it, it's, you know, I know you're going to ask this question to say, you know, what books are you reading? You know, I, I'm reading uh, Never Split the Difference, you know, the Chris Voss book, and, and uh. he really gets in. I don't know if, if people know who that is. And no, I've heard of that book before. He's an ex- yeah. FBI negotiator, and, oh, yes. uh, a hostage negotiator. And he goes into, you know, some of this stuff is really pretty intense about how you really need to be, uh, you know, have, ex- you know, intense listening skills and, and the right questioning skills, you know, it's all about that. And, mm-hmm. and how do you transfer those skills into a sales environment or into a client servicing environment? And, uh, you know, and he goes into a lot of different techniques like mirroring, you know, questions and repeating back phrases and, you know, all those types of things so that you're not trying to create an emotional response that you don't want from that prospect. Hmm. Interesting. I think it's David Carruthers that told me about split the difference. And I can't, and the, the, the sound doesn't, the, I was just down in the keys with David and we were talking and he was talking about this book that it was a hostage negotiator book. And yeah. man, I'm going to, I'm going to have to reach out to him because uh, um, I'm actually near the end of one of my books and I need Speaking to actually. That, I just got my, uh, my mug yesterday. You just got your mug yesterday, huh? <laughs> Yeah, Walt, uh, uh, David is a, is a fantastic individual, oh, good, yeah. for, good for this industry. Um, not only is he smart and teaches what he knows, but he also uh, is, does it from the heart. And uh, I and about four or five other agents who were some of his first uh, uh, students have uh, shown great results, results that have made me mad that I wish I realized that for the last 17 years prior to the last two, so 19 total, but 17 years of my life, I wish someone would have taught me what he taught me a long time ago. I don't think I would have been ready. I mean, some of the stuff that he requires, you have to have knowledge. And yeah. I'm going to be honest, you got to have gonads. I mean, you got to be able to ask the tough questions. And and like you said, doing some of these podcasts and learning to listen and stuff, I believe has made it. But here's what I want to close with. And, and, and Walt, um, if what can you do if someone reached out to you and they said, Walt, I love you. You sound like you can help me on LinkedIn. What should they be focused on if they want to know, can Walt help me? What, 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 what do you help people with on a daily basis the best? 
the the thing that I do, you know, we would first of all have a conversation to see if we're even a fit, whether I can help you, you know, I whether like your head's in the right place, whether you're you're even trying to build your book of business, you know, whether you're you're coachable and whether you're going to take action. You know, I, I, I like to work with people that I know are going to take action and get results. Uh, you know, if someone isn't going to do that, it's I don't feel like I can help them. And, mm-hmm. and the first thing we do is to go through that the nine step process that we talked about, you know, how can we reposition that profile? You know, how do we dig in and get your strategy nailed down? And, you know, I help them to rewrite their profile uh, with the copy, with the repositioning of it. And then beyond that, it's okay. Do we need to take this and train other producers in your agency? Uh, Do we need to create more content? Do we need to create a, a website that more better reflects the buying process and the buying experience because a lot of agency websites are kind of throw up information Mm -hmm. at prospects and it just overwhelms them. It doesn't Mm -hmm. lead them through, through logically the steps in the buying experience. And so how, and that's a different type of website than an overall informational website. And so that those are some of the areas where I help people. Well, fantastic, man. Hey, Walt, this has been great. Um, this has been almost one of our longest podcasts ever. Um, so it really, really was good. I really like this. And and just keep that in mind. If you want to reach out to him, it's waltgoshert.com. That's G-O-S-S-H-E-R-T.com. Uh, so that's waltgoshert.com. You can find him on, on LinkedIn out there. Um, just remember, he's got the uh, prospecting playbook, foundation, build, and action. Those are the three phases. Inside of those phases, though, on foundation is vision, target, and message. Then as you build, you're going to build your story platform and playbook and take action by publishing, engaging, and follow-up. So I really, really like that. You broke that down fantastically, um, and I really do appreciate your time um, and, and spending it with us. And thank you for, uh, telling us that you are a, a leader by telling us that you are a reader. So I definitely appreciate yeah, that. I, as well. I'm a voracious reader. That's, uh, yeah, I think I am you too. have to be, you have to be, um, you have to be. And I, and I see as, is as I get into my forties, um, I see how it has created, I have friends who don't read, who refuse to read and don't want to read. I just know more stuff than them. I just have a better grasp of how the world sometimes works because I've read it from the brains of people who lived 2,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, living now, and some of the greatest presidents and people who've walked in the last two to 300 years and bringing that all together. You know, it's like that's the beauty of AI is that it can take a mass amount of information and then bring some intelligence out of it. In a way, that's what books are, right? That we're feeding our intelligence to create something that's not artificial, but actually works in the real world. Yeah, I'll I'll just leave a brief comment about that. Uh, you know, it's sometimes hard. You know, I have friends like that too that just aren't readers, and it's hard for me sometimes to relate to them because I'm 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 trying to think about what's their worldview. Where are they getting information? You know, how are mm-hmm. they consuming information? Are they getting it from mass media? Which I yeah. think right now is extremely dangerous. Oh. I don't want to get on a political rant here, Oof, but there's a tremendous amount of misinformation. Oof. And so to get 
the real information, you need to do some digging and you need to read to get different mm-hmm. perspectives about what's even happening currently. Um, and, and then, like you're saying, history leaves a lot of lessons. And so you need to read biographies, history, uh, to really get a perspective of what's happening currently. You're right about that. You're so right about that. Um, man, media is uh, so deceiving <laughs> we, we right now. We could do a whole it, podcast on that it, mess. <laughs> it is ridiculous how bad it is. Um, so, okay, here's the – Walt, thank you for your time. And as we try to close up here, man, I try to do my best. I know it was a long one, but we really don't talk about LinkedIn a lot around here, loyal listeners, and that's why I wanted to get into your head. So now, yes, we did talk about it, LinkedIn, and how he uses that as a tool to pull them in through his three-phase process, nine-step phase. And he is trying to um, elevate that discussion in trying to help you took and look at Facebook, in my opinion, as how does it work in the real world? How can you use LinkedIn? But as I loved what you said out there, well, how do I get them? It's all about getting them off of LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's great to connect and stuff. But at the end of the day, we're trying to sell a product. And I really, really like that. So loyal listeners, I hope that you did well. Please reach out to Walt. Even when we put this podcast up and do it, just hit a nice little comment. Tell Walt what you think about some of his stuff. And you know, Walt, one of the things I'm going to close up with this um, that I was thinking about, and you were talking, you know, the little uh, purple around your profile picture. So loyal listeners, if you go to his LinkedIn, go check out his profile picture and connect with him. You'll see a little a purple circle that he's put around there. And he talked about that earlier in the podcast as to why he does that as a way to stick out. You know, one of the things that I did, Walt, when I was first, when I was brand new and young, I was, I was helping my dad um, do some tile and stuff like that. Um, he had a tile uh, a business where he laid tile and marble and stuff. I still do that to this day. But after um, I realized I didn't want to blow up my back end for the rest of my <laughs> life, I started selling uh, and selling windows, right? This was, uh, I was like 20, 21, started selling windows, started figuring out sales. But what was amazing is I went to a trade show and I would go to the trade show and there would be us like a home show and there would be a ton of different people selling windows, right? And so I would go out into the, out into the, to, to the thing because I realized like I need to get people to stop and talk to me. Without anybody telling me this, I just realized I needed to stick out. So I would kind of walk out into the the place where the people are walking to kind of lure them in. Hey, look at my windows. And I noticed a lot of the other salespeople were doing that too. And so one day I thought to myself when I went to this home show, it was going to be a big one. And I was really thinking to myself, I'm like, how can I separate myself? How can I really stick out, right? How can I make my purple circle around Mm -hmm. my profile pic? And I thought... I got it. And I went and rented a tux. <laughs> and when I went and I set up that booth, I wore that tux for those three days. And what was crazy was, is yes, I got some people who came over and would, hey, da, 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 and they would talk to me. It wasn't about how many leads I got. It was about how effective I was with the leads that I did receive. That's what got my brain going. Because it was so many times that I would call people and I would say, hey, um, I met you at the home show and and they'd be like, oh, yeah, so who were you? What company were you with? They didn't ask me that question. Oh, you were the guy in the tux. I was the guy in the tux. And I realized immediately prospecting and creating relationships gets a whole lot easier, a whole lot quicker if there's a way that you stand out 
win their mind. And from that point on, that got me thinking that everything I do, I need to be different because that's just going to make it easier. I can still sell windows not being different. It's just going to take a lot more work. And to me, I like less work because I like to spend time with my family and, and like to travel. Walt, I appreciate your time very much. I appreciate being here. Thank you. Where can they reach out to you at, Walt? Uh, just my name, waltgosher.com. And when they when they hit that, they'll get a LinkedIn profile scorecard where they can go through their profile and grade themselves. This was a fun, this was a long one, but it was a good one. And I hope that you all enjoyed it. And I want to I want to end with a saying by my main man, Harvey Specter. And it's something <laughs> that he said, but it's something that he was echoing from somebody else. And he said, a bullshit claim on the right day is better than a great claim on a bullshit day. <laughs> Said by Harvey Specter's grandma. Love that. This has been Agents Influence Podcast. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast. I'm Cass. He's Walt. We're out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.